Sebastian for the Metal Gods Meltdown. And today I am joined by Ron Young from Little Caesar. Your book, Judge This Book by Its Cover, is tremendous and unputdownable. How pleased are you with reactions to it so far? So far, actually, really good. And I got to say that there's a moment of panic that happens right before you release it. Cause you realize all you're doing is asking to blow up relationships because you told the story or, and I had this wave of panic and I was just like, you know what? I think I handled things well. So I put it out. And fortunately everybody that I really care about <laughs> has called me with nothing but positive input. So I, I, I'm really grateful for that because I was worried there for a while. You did have many chances of major success with Little Caesar and other projects, but if you could go back in time, what would you change? Oh, you know, I've come to the point in my life where I wouldn't change anything because I've learned that, huh, you know, there's parts of me that would love to be famous and up on huge stages. But there's also a part of me, if I'm really honest with myself, that doesn't think I could have handled it and I'd be dead or an asshole and I don't want to be either. So, um, you know, everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. At the end of the day, I'm just so grateful that I still get to make music, that enough people know me that I don't have to sit on my couch. And, you know, I got a great group of guys and it, it's it's really great. So I'm I'm really grateful for what I have, even though I could have more, but I don't regret a thing. Of course, there's lots of Gene Simmons stories in the books and it yeah. sounds like one of a kind and hilarious. But when you look back on your career, do you like pinch yourself and think, oh my God, I shared stages with him and his family told <coughs> with him? Oh, for sure. I, and, and I recall... I might have wrote about it in the book. You know, I've always been a fan of music before I'm a maker of music, and I think that's what drives me. And I'm still completely enamored by my heroes. And, of course, him being one of them amongst a million others for various reasons. And the night that I opened up for him at Nassau Coliseum and the Meadowlands, which is the two venues in New York City area that I used to go see Zeppelin and... Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and Kiss and all of these bands when I was a little, little kid. And here I am on that stage, and it was really surreal to me. So just for that alone, man, I, I'm so grateful. I know so many really, really talented musicians that never had that gift and probably more talented than me and the people that I know. But for whatever reason, it didn't come together for them. And they didn't get to have that blessing. So I, I, I count myself really lucky. The Donington show you mentioned that you need to play that. I actually went to that festival and you guys should have been added to the bill. That must have been so annoying for you that you didn't get on that bill. Uh, you know, because that was like our sort of beacon of hope that maybe the career would turn around when we came over to the UK and it was a different business entity there on the corporate side of things. And they were really excited about the band. And, you know, we had the guys from Thunder at our show there at the Marquee in London, and they came up and made such a generous offers to us to play with them, you know, and our label just refused to support us. And so that was kind of like the last nail in the coffin. What we do, we're going back home and this thing is over. 
So, yeah, that was very disappointing. So if you were a young band now, starting out, do you think you you would have had more success? Oh, that's so hard to say. Um, I, I think that we could have produced the band more the way we wanted to produce the band because, you know, back in 1989, 1990, we were arguing with our record label that all of this big corporate metal stuff was going to go away and more honest, organic music is going to rise up because it's more, because it, because it is more honest and I think it's more relatable. And sure enough, that happened with grunge. I mean, it's not necessarily the type of music, but it was the, the approach and the production style. When I first heard Soundgarden's first record, I'm like, see, this is what I'm talking about. It sounds like an early Black Sabbath record. That's exactly the kind of record we were fighting to make. And then by then, everything was in the toilet. But they kind of came around and said, yeah, yeah, we kind of know what you're talking about now. That 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 kind of stuff is does can sell. And people can listen to it. So if I was a new band now, I would just be, you know, the days of big studios with big producers are over. And it really comes down to bands that are very um, hands-on, bands that are very creative, bands that understand the technology of it. And they make their own music in their own way. And I think that there's a freedom in that. For some bands, it's it's hard harder for that reason. But for some bands, I think it's easier. And I think... Because of our background, I, I used to be a sound engineer. I went to engineering production school. I could easily get behind a board in, in, in a garage or my home and make a record. And, of course, you famously covered Chain of Fools. I'm going to ask you this, though. If you were a new band starting today, which song from the last decade would you cover? Oh, that's a really good question. The funny thing is, is I never wanted to put Chain of Fools on the record. I didn't think it was that great of a song. It is for Aretha. And the way it got on our record was that it was the first song we got together to jam on, and it just stuck with us. Um, oh, man, I would maybe try to cover a free song, like an early sort of obscure free song, like um, The Hunter. Um, boy, there's so many great songs that I would love to cover. And even some Motown and some obscure soul songs would be great, too, because there's still so many, so many uh, great sort of obscure R&B songs that would rock really hard if we had a chance to do them. Absolutely. I also think it's a real shame you didn't get the gig with Slash's Snake Pit. Did you yeah. ever have any <laughs> other opportunities to work with him later on in the, in the years? He didn't, because once he once he um, picked the guy from Jellyfish, and then obviously he moved on to Miles Kennedy. The whole key to all of that working with Slash is we started working together and then Guys like Mike Inez and Mike Plink started telling him, listen, if you go out and do this, you know, Guns N' Roses is, you know, they're on hiatus and and were for a long time. That every night the fans are going to want to hear all those Guns N' Roses hits. Can this guy sing like Axel? And I don't sing like Axel. That's not my thing. And I have to be honest with him and say, no, dude, I can't sing in that Brian Johnson, Mark Slaughter, high register kind of thing. I'm more of a soul singer. And those guys, it's what's called a mask. It's singing up in your in your nasal passage. And so that was ultimately the reason why we didn't work together. Everything else was going great. So I totally understood that. And I was the one who said, not going to be able to do it. Don't want to do it, actually. Um, don't want to change my style just to get a good gig. I have to be honest to myself. So. 
So what are your feelings on bands like Kiss, Motley Crue, etc., still touring? When do you think enough is enough? Well, if they can't sing and if they got to use tapes and they're not being honest about their presentation of music, then it's just a facade, you know, and that bothers me. It bothers me that the fans are cheated. And I get it. There's a whole lot of fans that just want to be there. And when you're in the 30th row, you can't tell that people are lip syncing and the pyro goes off and it's loud and it's great. And there's all these backing tracks. But as a musician, I just feel it's kind of fraudulent. And there's a lot of other bands that are doing it. You know, Kiss is doing it. And, you know, was it David Coverdale has a guy that comes out and sings his songs for him. Yeah. I mean, at some point, man, just... And I get how hard it is to stop doing what you love. I mean, I get that. But, you know, live fast, die young, leave a good-looking corpse. That used to be the rock and roll motto. And now it's like live fast, die young, you know, keep the revenue flowing. Like, not like they need it, you know. I know. Yeah, I went and saw White Snake, and it was just basically crowd participation. It was a shame. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, no, it's the same with Motley Crue. All the high parts, you know, they stick the mic out into the audience and get them to sing. And it's like, yeah. I didn't pay to hear the audience sing with the choruses, you know. Exactly. But, you know, that that's just my opinion of it, you know, that, whatever it's worth. <laughs> you know, Point Break is actually one of my favorite films. I watched it again oh. last night, not watched it for years. Um, it's a shame you didn't get the star in it. Yeah, no, 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 I know. And it's funny because I recommended Anthony for the part because we were going back out on tour. And so Catherine couldn't wait for me to to be in the film. And Anthony was great in it. And yeah, it was a disappointment. But, you know, in my film career, I got to be in Terminator and do some voiceover work for, you know, Strange Days. So. Yeah, I love I love the story about the Terminator and Arnold Schwarzenegger saying "ow." I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Said it like ten times. So, yeah. <laughs> so on the Point Break theme, then did you see the new Point Break film? What a load of rubbish that is! No, was it remade? Yeah, they remade it. It's just like it wouldn't even bother. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of remake films. No. <laughs> Uh, I just wouldn't bother. I think, I think they become too ingrained in people's consciousness, and I don't know. Yeah. So, whatever. That's a that's a it's a compliment to Catherine. So, yeah, they remade it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay, so like me, you have a lot of tattoos these days. Yeah. Though everyone seems to have tattoos, man. Oh, yeah. I know, and it's I so know. annoying. What are it your feelings? So, it's so annoying. I got tattooed to be rebellious, to be nonconformist, to keep people the fuck away from me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden in the 90s, and this happened where I was living, up on the Sunset Strip, Cher and Roseanne and Nick Cage and all of these famous people started showing off, getting tattooed and showing off their ink. And the next thing you know, I got soccer moms in the supermarket. You know, it used to be that I'd walk down the street in a in a you know, in a tank top and moms would grab their kids and go to the other side of the street. Yeah. And now they now they come up in the supermarket and want to know who did my ink and show me their pieces. And, you know, and then I get the people that want to know if I'm a chef or a barista, you know, so (laughs) (laughs) it's not where I got them. (laughs) Yeah, man, it really pisses me off. And I mean, what's your feelings on these face tattoos people have that just really annoy me? Just well, listen, I don't think it looks really attractive, but 
I'm not one to judge. You know, I got a full back piece, full sleeves and big chest plates. So <laughs> it's kind of hard to then say, oh, no, you crossed the line, you know. <laughs> but I do think that it's um, I think that you're only making your life difficult, you know, and yeah. uh, I, I don't think it's a smart thing to do. Even like neck tattoos, you know, you got to be real secure in knowing what you're doing for life. You know, working from home from COVID and with your cameras um, makes it more easy to be all tatted up and people don't know it, you know. Yeah, so. yeah this is true. All right. So what are your feelings on the metal and rock scene in 2023? And the age old question, are you glad you started when you did in the music business back in the 80s? You know, all my life, I wish I was in a, a rock band in the 70s. That, to me, was the ultimate period, the most creative period. I also think that's when guitar-based rock and roll was very much in everyone's ear, and everybody was excited about that. I don't think that's the case as much anymore, not on a commercial level. Certainly, there's, like, hardcore metal fans. There's, like, 10 genres of heavy metal now, of which a lot I don't even understand because I'm more of a melody and blues-based guy, and there's not a lot of that going on. You know, there's bands like Rival Sons and, you know, Blackberry Smoke and, you know, Greta Van Fleet who are attempting, but none of them have become like arena bands. And I just don't think that it's his, um, that style uh, of, you know, bluesy, guitar-based, kind of melodic-based, music sells anywhere near what it used to sell in the 70s and 80s. And and that's unfortunate, you know. Quite honestly, I don't pay a lot of attention to to a lot of these genres of music. It just kind of goes right over my head. And uh, I just wait for people to forward me links to bands <laughs> to turn me on to some new stuff. Cool. Okay, so you've told the world but if you could grasp a career highlight out of the sky, what would it be? I'm sorry, say again? You've told the world, but if you could grasp a career highlight out of the sky, what would it be? Ooh, from from a from a previous career sort of yeah. moment? Yeah. Um, well, obviously mentioning playing with Kiss at, at my two childhood venues. Um, one of the other highlights is doing a duet with brian adams in british columbia um was was really a highlight to to get out and f this was the first time i got out in front of like 25 30 000 people and i'm standing there with a guy named you know with a guy who's established and famous and he's looking at me like take the verse man sing away and then afterwards came up and was really complimentary and the crowd went nuts and we sang stand by me an old benny king r&b song and it was it was just great. It was everything that I ever wanted out of music was to be able to stand on a stage and pour my heart out with great players and to just feel really in the groove and in the pocket and have all those people right there with me in the palm of my hand being totally accepting and loving of what I was doing. And it really, it's very intoxicating, dangerously intoxicating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. So now can you tell me what has been your worst experience on a stage? Oh, the worst experience on a stage. Um, <laughs> at the last night of the KISS tour, um, it is a tradition that they mess with the band that's leaving. 
And so Kiss's crew starts, you know it's coming. You don't know what it's going to be. And so first thing that starts happening is in the middle of the show, their techs start coming out and removing some of the drums one by one to the point where the only thing left is the snare drum. And then some flour comes dropping down from out of the truss. And it just went to hell really fast. It was funny. It was a lot of fun. We got even with Slaughter because they were involved. We put Tabasco in all their water bottles for the stage. <laughs> and we complimented each other on how creative we were. You know, all is fair in love and war. So it was, ooh, but it was bad. It's a panic that sets in. <laughs> you know, so Love it. Okay, then. So if there was a hard rock song about yourself, what would it be called? Um. Ain't no fun waiting around to be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. It's it's one of the greatest, you know, chronology of, and warning of what it's really like in the music business. And uh, I should have listened to Bond early on and his wisdom. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, okay, I've got to tell you that whenever I've heard the name Little Caesar, I've never thought of Pizza Company. I've always thought of your band. So there you go, man. Well, we thank you. I, I appreciate that. That's not the case here in the States because we had no idea there was a huge corporation selling crappy pizza all over the nation before we released our record. And quite honestly, that's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> I mean, if, if you can laugh at something in your career, that's one of those things where, wow, how messed up can that, can this really get? And that was one of them. <laughs> Okay, so what other names did you think of then rather than Little Caesar? Do you remember? No, we didn't. We just went with it because, you know, they told us this, like all the records were pressed up, all the CDs were made, and they told us this three weeks before, and they knew about it for months. And they were just like, oh, well, we thought you knew. And we're like, no, we didn't know. We would. I don't care what you call the band, but all you're doing is going to create confusion and jokes. And to this day, all I hear is pizza, pizza. Pizza, pizza. Now, I always laugh and I'm always nice to people. I, it doesn't it doesn't make me angry. It, it's a joke. You know what I mean? It's life hands out jokes. It's just a question of whether you get it, you know? So that's one of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So going back to the bike a bit then, do you still hang out with Hells Angels and Slaves and all that lot? Oh, no, 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 no. I am much more of a lone wolf, as it were. I have a few friends you know, guys like Gilby Clark and I have a buddy, Jeff Taylor, guys who are really passionate about their motorcycles, you know, and we go to motorcycle shows and we ride and I stay away from organized motorcycle um, organizations now because it can get kind of sticky. And so, yeah, I stay away from that and just ride for my own pleasure. That's understandable. So would you say Sons of Anarchy was a fair... I mean, it's a bit ridiculous sometimes, Sons of Anarchy. Would you say that's oh, a fair representation? You know, I have to have to admit, I avoided watching it for years. And everybody said okay. it was great. And I'm like, it can't be great. You know, when I saw pictures and I saw guys who had ape hangers above, yeah. you know, above their heart, I'm like, that's such bullshit. You don't want to have your hands above your heart. After five minutes, your hands are numb because the blood doesn't go there. I can't watch a show that they don't even get that right. Well, then I wound up 
starting to watch it because we kind of went through everything on Netflix. And I was like, I got sucked into it. Yeah, yes, it was, it was totally, totally ridiculous. Like <laughs> gunfights for like an hour and the cops don't come. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, there would be helicopters and 87,000 police cars when they're shooting it out in this little warehouse in the middle of town. But, you know, you suspend your disbelief for the sake of entertainment. Absolutely. Okay. Um, what would you like then from Young's legacy to be in rock and roll history? Um, that I was an honest, talented singer, that I'm a decent guy, that I get it, you know what I mean? Um, that I'm warm and connected and honest to my fans and to my music. And, you know, that is that has suited me really well. You know, when the internet really kicked up, it was really hard for bands to keep that larger-than-life persona because the internet and social media really, you know, opens you up for not being able to create the mystique anymore. And I saw early on to just try to honestly collect, connect with people. So people would write to me that, well, we played one of your songs at my wedding or at a funeral. And, oh, my God, that's such a compliment. You know, there's there's no greater award than than to be have your music be so connected and interwoven into the fabric of somebody's life. And so to hear about that on social media and then to respond back to these people with a nice letter, you know, obviously if I was in Motley Crue, I'd be overwhelmed, but with letters and responses, but we're not. So I can, I can really connect to our fans and I'm really grateful for that. That's brilliant. Um, so what's the plans then for the rest of the year? I mean, are you getting out back on the road with Little Caesar? And are um, well, I'm, go we're, I'm going out. We have this project with, with four of the other guys that are in Little Caesar right now. Uh, this band called Crusados, which is a band that was in L.A. in the early 80s. And we're friends with the bass player. So we got a little tour we're doing with that, a little EP coming out. Put out a record with it last year. Um, Caesar is writing new songs. We have a run coming up with Junkyard for about four days. Our old friends in Junkyard, who we pair really well with personally and musically. And then we're talking about doing weekends around the United States. We really want to come back over to the UK, but right now there's so many bands looking to get back into venues, number one. So venues are booked out for like 18 months. It's crazy. Yeah. That's number one. Number two, these venues got so burned during COVID that they're not offering anywhere near the guarantees monetarily that they used to. And that's understandable. They got burned and, you know, one outbreak of COVID or anything else. Yeah. Plus, they don't know if the fans are going to even get off the couch because they've been so used to watching Netflix. Not to mention that a band like us, we have an older fan base. And hacking into a club... Um, while there's some virus going around, is going to diminish the turnout. So with a diminished turnout comes a diminished guarantee. With a diminished guarantee, bands can't. They don't know if they can take the gamble to book the flights and the van and the gear and the crew. So a lot of bands I know are going out with no crew. They're setting up their own gear. That's the only thing they can do. And on top of it, they're booked out 18 months. So it's made it really hard for us to get back over to UK because all we can hear is, uh, very little money and you know and sure you want to come over in 2025 <laughs> and we're like wow yeah holy shit we you know so you add all that up and then on top of it inflation it's really things are really yeah. expensive right yeah. now so that's really. the reason why we haven't booked something to come right back to the uk 
Okay. Well, hopefully we, we do get to see you again. I saw you at Hard Rock Hell back in... Ah, well, yes. I yes, can't remember in, what it was now, but it was a while ago. In, in Wales. You know, it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it was really good. Hey. Yeah. yeah, we have fun. That was fantastic. It, it's, it, it's, the weather is always very hit or miss. <laughs> it was a bit chilly. Uh, yes, frozen, yes. The video's frozen. And, and um, the weird thing is, is for some reason, we put it into our computer navigation, and it took us down these tiny back roads, and it was an adventure for us to get there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was for us as well. We stayed um, like that, that press area, and it was just in the middle of nowhere. It was so cold. Yeah, well. it freezing. was quite cold. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. Do you have any um, my, words for your fans? No, no, no. Just, just, you know, to anybody who's sat through this, thank you. <laughs> you know, anybody who has an interest in me or my music or my book, uh, I'm just really grateful. Honestly grateful to you all and to thank you. And if you if you don't know who I am, then, then you know, look me up, look my band up, Little Caesar, and check out our music because – you know, every we're still selling it door to door, man. You know, and we're happy to do that. So thank you. Let's slow down for a minute. Stop and catch your breath. Never time enough to get in it. Split back from the rest. You know, time is out of.